I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. The poem Ozymandias is a classic in British literature and stands as a warning to all those who in their hubris and pride would dare to set themselves up as king of kings and lord of lords over and above the authority of the one true king, the God of heaven, the God who reigns sovereign over all. That uh, poem was written by a man named Percy Shelley. And you may recognize that name. His wife was a woman named Mary Shelley, who was the author of another famous work known as Frankenstein. Interesting, this family both wrote significant works about people with God complexes who usurped the authority that belongs to God alone and ended up creating monsters. And so often we see that play out throughout history where people rebel against God and in their pride seek to elevate themselves in their own will and desire. And just like the runes of Ozymandias, just like Frankenstein's monster, all who seek to go that route ultimately end up in judgment. This morning we're going to see this message play out once again as we continue our series in the book of Daniel. We've seen this reality time and time again already throughout Daniel as the various kings of Babylon have sought to elevate themselves as king of kings and lord of lords and yet repeatedly find themselves humbled humbled by the God of Israel, the true God of heaven. We see this in our passage this morning, Daniel chapter 5, as we discover a new king in Babylon, a new king named Belshazzar. 23 years has passed since the events that Pastor Barry taught us on last week in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, the, the great king of Babylon, who in his pride boasted of his greatness and God humbled him, brought him low, in his restoration, Nebuchadnezzar recognized God's greatness 
and declared his praise. And 23 years have gone by. Three kings have passed, inconsequential kings, up to this point where we discover King Belshazzar, who was a prince of Babylon, a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. Belshazzar was the grand <clears throat> grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Judah has now been in exile for 66 years when we come to our passage this morning. Daniel is an old man in his 80s. And this is where we pick up our story. Our passage this morning is an interesting one because we know the exact date on which this passage we're studying this morning took place. The events of this passage took place on October 29th, 539 B.C. So for those of you who have your calendars marked with my birthday, October 29th, you can add uh, another notation there, October 29th, the day Babylon fell to Cyrus the Great of the Medes and Persians and his governor who we're going to read about in the coming weeks, Darius. This is where we pick up our story, October 29th, 539 B.C., the nation of Babylon is currently surrounded by the army of the Medes and Persians. We know again from history, October 12, 539 B.C., Cyrus the Great had surrounded the walls of Babylon. The barbarians were literally at the gates, threatening to bring about Babylon's destruction. Now you would think King Belshazzar would be preparing for battle in this moment of imminent catastrophe, but no, once again, in his pride as king of kings and lord of lords, Belshazzar decides, I'm going to throw a party. And this is where we pick up in our passage this morning. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Friends, this was the very hand of God. This was the hand that inscribed in the stone tablets the Ten Commandments for Moses. The hand of God appeared in the midst of this banquet hall, and the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. Friends, Belshazzar sobered up real fast upon seeing this divine hand appear. Very interesting, the phrase there, his limbs gave way. In the Hebrew, that can be translated, his loins were loosed. In other words, he wet his pants. <laughs> the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Once again, we see the pathetic nature of the occult powers that were so often pursued in Babylon. 
King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, now this is the queen mother. This is Belshazzar's grandmother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, referred to your father. They didn't have a word for grandfather. They just spoke to all of their ancestors as their fathers. But King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king again, an old man in his 80s. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah? I have heard of you, and that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your awards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored." Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Powerful warning that applies to so many throughout history and so many today. The tyrants nations, even us as individuals. Any who would dare to set themselves up over God in a spirit of pride and boastfulness. There are a number of lessons that we can learn from this passage this morning. This passage about this time when God crashed Babylon's party. We're going to look at these lessons over the period of a couple of weeks. We're going to take a look at a couple of them here this morning. And then next week, our guest speaker, Pastor Craig, is going to be with us for our family conference. We'll pick up with these lessons then in two weeks from today. But there are a number of lessons we can learn. The first of these lessons that we need to learn from our passage this morning is we need to beware of the hubris of Babylon. Hubris, again, is just another word for pride. Usurping the authority of God, setting ourselves up over God, claiming for ourselves what belongs to God alone, ignoring his rule and will, and instead seeking to live life on our own terms. Daniel here warns us of the hubris of Babylon. It's interesting, our passage falls on the heels of King Nebuchadnezzar's final words at the end of chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar's words literally hang over this entire passage as a warning to all those who would fall into the folly of hubris. King Nebuchadnezzar's final words that we saw last week after he had set himself up in his pride and God humbled him and then God restored him. In verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. A lesson his grandson obviously did not learn. And it's no mistake that Daniel put these words right before telling us the story of Belshazzar and Belshazzar's folly. We see the folly of Belshazzar's hubris here in these opening verses of our passage this morning. We see his folly first and foremost in how he delighted in evil. He delighted in the things that God says are anathema for his people. The scene of our story finds us in this party. Again, Babylon is surrounded. It's on the verge of falling, and yet Belshazzar invites thousands of his lords and his wives and his concubines to a night of drunken revelry. This was no church potluck or family Thanksgiving gathering, friends. In fact, I would caution you against using even your imaginations to think what this night might have been like. Thousands of his lords, wives, and concubines. You know what a concubine is? 
a concubine is a human sex toy. Why were they there? Well, again, I caution you from even imagining why. But this was a night of wickedness, a night of perverse revelry, and here Belshazzar delighting in evil things that God says are against his will for humanity. We find Belshazzar again, like the fool in his sin, turning his back on God and going his way instead of God's way with thousands of the elite of Babylon. Not only were they delighting in evil this night, but they then go on and defame what belonged to God alone. In their drunken revelry, Belshazzar calls to his servants. He says, go to the temple treasury and bring back the treasures from Judah, from the temple in Judah. Bring their gold and silver goblets, and we are going to drink to our gods using these items that had been consecrated to the God of Judah the King of kings and Lord of lords, items that have been consecrated by the priests in Israel, set apart for God's use alone, for his glory alone, for his worship alone. And yet Belshazzar and his people defamed what was God's. And then he denigrated God before the idols of Babylon. It says they drank in their revelry to the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Essentially, all the gods worshiped in Babylon were cheered in the goblets that belonged to the God of Judah. And in their drunken revelry, they blasphemed God with the army of Cyrus the Great knocking at the door. What foolishness, friends. Make no mistake, this is the path of sin. This is the course of sin every time. You read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we've referenced so many times in our series in Daniel. Paul talks about the path of those who exchange the truth of God for lies and end up becoming fools. Sin is always the path of foolishness. And it never leads to prosperity. It always ultimately ends in judgment. It would end in judgment for Belshazzar. In fact, where is the nation of Babylon? Where is Babylon the great today? Babylon to the great today is a historical site where archaeologists sift through the ruins and rubble. That was the end of the fools of Babylon. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul warns us about in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Friends, we need to beware that God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. When he speaks his will and his word and his truth, he expects his creatures to listen and obey. And when we don't, the uniform message throughout Scripture is judgment comes. Judgment comes. You know, you think about what was going on in Babylon, October 29, 539 B.C., and the reality is, I look at our own culture today, and the party of Babylon is still raging. The party of Babylon rages on today. We see this in our world, in our entertainment just in recent weeks, we've seen 
in the Grammys, all over national television, a satanic orgy meant to inspire entertainment and praise from the masses. We saw in the Super Bowl last Sunday, sex acts acted out midfield on a national stage in front of a national audience, and the media pray, oh, wasn't that a great halftime show? Reveling, glorying in the things that God condemns. We see it in our politics today. Politicians enshrining sinful acts into law, calling evil good and good evil. We see it in our media personalities, mocking Christianity, mocking those who would offer their thoughts and prayers in the wake of tragedy. In fact, just this past week, I saw one media personality responding to a social media post from a Christian leader. He said, F your thoughts and prayers. Defaming the things of God. We see this in our churches today, sadly. Many pastors compromising God's word for the sake of cultural approval. Sadly, the examples are many. But it's not just out there, friends. The party of Babylon, the temptation is there for this party to rage in our own lives as well. And the party in Babylon rages in our own hearts every time we turn our backs on God and bow down to our own personal idols. And God will not be mocked. We need to take these biblical warnings seriously. You know, it's interesting. I think God's warning to Babylon given by the prophet Isaiah a hundred years before these events took place. A hundred years before the downfall of Babylon. Isaiah's warning to Babylon is just as relevant for us in our culture today. In Isaiah chapter 47, the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God to the future nation of Babylon, to King Belshazzar, hundred years earlier, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sits securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. Friends, does that not sound like our nation today? I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood should come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and great the great power of your enchantments, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone and ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. And that happened. It happened in 539 B.C., 66 years after Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah and took God's people into captivity. And God had warned him. And they failed to heed God's warnings. 
Friends, I worry for our nation today. And I weep for people who choose to disobey God and pursue life on their terms instead of his terms. Because he is a holy, righteous God. And judgment is always coming. And the party always gets crashed. God gave Babylon 66 years to defame his name and profane his glory. America is 247 years old. And you have to wonder, friends, how long will God's patience last? And we need to take these realities seriously. This leads me to the second lesson that we need to learn from our story this morning. We need to heed the handwriting of God. We need to heed the handwriting of God. We're going to talk in a couple weeks about the actual inscription, this this supernatural inscription that was written on the the banquet hall of Babylon that evening. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. But the reality is, friends, the handwriting of God wasn't just inscribed on that banquet wall that evening. The handwriting of God was written all over the history of Babylon. It was there for Belshazzar to see. He didn't need the supernatural hand of God to speak truth to him because God had been speaking truth repeatedly over the 66 years of his activity in Babylon through his prophet Daniel. The truth had been told. God's revelation had been declared. And Belshazzar foolishly had ignored the handwriting on the wall. That was so evident throughout Babylon's history. What what, what kind of handwriting am I talking about, friends? Well, God's handwriting was all over. It was all over, for example, in, in the impotence of Babylon's gods. How many times in our series thus far have we seen the gods of Babylon fail their people, fail their kings? And instead of turning to the true God, the king of kings, the God of heaven, they repeatedly turn back to their false gods who can't do anything. They're impotent gods who cannot save. In fact, our passage here this morning, this is the third time now in our series in Daniel where we have seen the king of Babylon call the wise men, the enchanters, the astrologers, looking for answers, looking to the gods of Babylon to give him wisdom and guidance. And every single time they have failed. Friends, if Daniel hasn't persuaded you of the foolishness of the occult and paganism, I don't know what will. And it's so sad because we live in a world today where people are chasing after the whole realm of the occult and the New Age movement and a neo-paganism, looking to the ancient gods for wisdom and knowledge and power. And it's foolishness. Why would you pursue all of these false gods when you can know the true God and have a personal relationship with him? 60 million Americans today involved in some form of the occult. 50 million Americans regularly practicing astrology, looking to the sun, moon, the stars, their horoscopes for guidance. A recent Barna survey reported that 73% of teenagers in America have dabbled in some form of the occult. Astrology, tarot cards, uh, Ouija boards, psychic encounters. Nearly three-fourths of teenagers, young people, that's foolishness. 
The way of the fool is to seek any false god other than the one true God, the God of Scripture, the God of Israel. Why do people pursue all these gods? They want spirituality without accountability. They want wisdom and knowledge and power without submission to the one true God. Again, it's pride, it's hubris, it's foolishness. We have people in our own community pursuing these false gods. I talked to a person recently sharing with with me about a, a group of people involved in witchcraft, even in our own area. It's the way of the fool. People sometimes ask, Pastor, whoa, 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 don't you get, a, don't you get scared talking about the occult and witchcraft and you know, con- condemning these things? Why on earth would I be afraid? Because 1 John 4, 4 tells me, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen. Friends, why on earth would you ever worship created things when you can worship the creator? Amen. The handwriting was all over the wall. Belshazzar knew the impotence of his gods. And yet, once again, here we see him turning to the gods of Babylon. And again, they fail him. They provide no answers. And so the queen mother steps forward. The queen mother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandmother steps forward into the banquet hall. And Belshazzar's grandmother, great statement. Don't miss this. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, the queen mother steps forward and she points Belshazzar back to the wisdom that was available in the days of his father. Friends, isn't that interesting? In the days of his father, there was wisdom to be discovered. And yet, Belshazzar had turned his back on that wisdom. The handwriting was all over. It was there for him. He didn't need the supernatural writing. He could have looked back to the wisdom of the days of his father, to the example that had played out in Nebuchadnezzar's life time and time again when he defamed the God of Israel and was humbled and yet... God would ultimately restore him in his grace. But Belshazzar forsook all that. He he had forsaken it all in his foolishness and his pride. I think about our own culture today, friends, and oh my, how we need to go back to the wisdom of the days of our fathers. We've turned our backs on that wisdom. And we wonder why we've ended up ended up in this chaotic place that we find ourselves in our culture today. We had the wisdom of God. We knew the wisdom of God. Our nation was built upon the wisdom of God given to us in Scripture. Our founding fathers were guided by that biblical wisdom, and yet we turned our backs on it. And we need the wisdom of the days of our fathers once again. I find it so sad today. I see it even in my own kids' education, how our nation is rewriting American history, denigrating the Christian influence in our nation, denigrating the role of Scripture in our nation, the role of these founding fathers who built our country upon godly biblical principles, Our kids are being taught lies today 
that our founding fathers were all racist and misogynist and superstitious fundamentalists. Young people, you are being lied to. That is not the truth. And our founders were not perfect. No one is. I'm not perfect by any means. But our founding fathers built this country guided on biblical principles. And we need to get back to the wisdom of the days of our fathers. Our politicians today talk about making America great again. You want to make America great again? We've got to go back to the truth of God's word. You see, it's our Christian heritage that made this nation great. It was our Christian heritage that fueled our unparalleled prosperity in the history of the world. It was our Christian heritage that championed freedom and justice for all, man, woman, child, people of all races. It was our Christian heritage that rescued the world from tyranny in World War I and World War II and the Cold War and the war against Islamic extremism. It was was our Christian heritage that fueled all of that. Make no mistake about it, friends. It's very interesting. This past week, I got a new book in the mail that I recently ordered. 800 pages <laughs> written by one of the world's leading historians, Mark Knoll, historian at Notre Dame University. Published by Oxford University Press, the most prestigious academic institution in the world. 800-page book by this eminent historian. You want to know what it's about? It's called America's Book. 800 pages about the influence of Scripture, God's Word, on the United States of America. And how it was God's Word that set the path that led to American greatness. 800 pages by one of the world's leading historians published by Oxford University. Friends, why are we not teaching our kids this in schools today? We don't teach our kids this in schools today. Instead, we teach them just the opposite. We teach them, no, this is a dangerous book. This is the truth of God, the creator. And if we want to get our country back on track... If you want to get your life back on track, there's only one way to do it, and it's to go back to the wisdom of the God who made us, who knows best for us, friends. Belshazzar knew that there was wisdom in the days of his father, but he turned his back on that wisdom, and he needed the queen mother to remind him. And so this leads me thirdly to the wisdom of a faithful old man, Daniel. Daniel, now in his 80s, is called into this banquet hall. Where was Daniel this whole time? 23 years had passed since, since the story we saw last week. Nebuchadnezzar, where in the world was Daniel? Friends, Daniel had been put out to pasture long ago. Belshazzar had completely ignored this man who had saved his father's skin so many times, speaking truth into Nebuchadnezzar's life. Belshazzar had ignored Daniel. And it was the queen mother who reminded him that there is a wise old man in Babylon who speaks on behalf of the God of heaven. And so Daniel, called out of retirement, faithfully steps forward in service to God, ready to do his will. There's many lessons we can learn here from this example of Daniel. I want to speak specifically for a few minutes to our seniors here. 
to the wise, faithful old men in our congregation, to the faithful old women in our congregation. If you learn anything from Daniel's example today, I want you to learn this. There is no such thing as retirement from service to God. God has a plan and a purpose for you, even in your old age, if you're willing to make yourself available to him. God can use you in some powerful ways. I think of so many of our own seniors here at Lakes Free who bless my heart every day as I see them faithfully serving God in a whole variety of ways, inside our church, outside our church, encouraging me, encouraging my kids. We need those faithful old men. We need those faithful old women. Seniors, I want to encourage you, don't coast into your sunset years. Run the race. Finish strong. Make your last days your best days in service of Jesus. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So follow Daniel's example. Well, Daniel, faithful to his calling, he comes forward and he brings to bear the wisdom of a lifetime in service to God as he stands before Belshazzar. And I want you to notice something, friends. Daniel doesn't give the interpretation of the writing on the wall right away, does he? What does he do? He, he preaches a sermon to Belshazzar. He, he doesn't interpret the handwriting. Instead, he tells Belshazzar, hey, Belshazzar, remember the example of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar? Remember how he elevated himself, declaring himself the mighty king of kings, lord of lords. And you remember how God humbled him and brought him low and made him live in the wilds like an animal. And then God in his amazing grace restored him, lifted him back up, put him back up as king over Babylon. And your grandfather praised God's name. You remember all that, Belshazzar? And then Daniel in verse 22 he says, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. He knew it all. And yet he had turned his back on the truth of God. He had turned a blind eye to it. What a fool. And that very night, his kingdom would be taken. His life would be taken. Because of his foolishness, ignoring God's revealed truth to him. Friends, may we not be so foolish. May we not be so quick to turn our back on the handwriting of God that is all around us. You say, Pastor Jason, well, where is God's handwriting? God's handwriting is clear for anyone to see. His handwriting is right here in his word in your Bible that you have sitting on your shelf at home day after day is the handwriting of God to lead you and guide you. I saw a quote by the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon just yesterday, and, and, I, and I, I debated whether I even say this. This isn't me saying this. This is Spurgeon saying this. Spurgeon said this. He says, some of you, your Bibles have so much dust on them that you can inscribe damnation on the cover with your finger. God's handwriting is clear, friends. It's all over. 
God's handwriting is not only in the word here, it's in our church every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. It's in your fellowship groups, in your Bible study groups. It's in your Sunday school classes. It's in the family ministry conference we're hosting next week. Don't ever say God's handwriting isn't there to see because it's all around us. And don't be a fool. Don't neglect it. Don't turn your back on it. Don't ignore it. Now, here's the thing. Belshazzar's foolishness that led to judgment. We're going to look at that again in a couple weeks. We're going to see what resulted of this. His foolishness led to judgment. Babylon would fall. Cyrus the Great and the Medes and Persians would become the new dominant empire in the world. And again, it was all because he chose to go the way of the fool. The way of the fool is the one who, who chooses to go their way instead of God's way. And friends, God is a just and holy God. And he will not be mocked. And the way of the fool always ends in judgment. It's the only end. But the good news is God is also a God of love and amazing grace and abundant life. And to all who are willing to humble themselves before him and repent, turning from their sinful pride and humbling themselves before the God who made them, who desires a personal relationship with them, a God who literally took on flesh and went to a cross and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins and experience reconciliation with him. That God who loves you so much offers you amazing grace and new life and friendship with him. Don't be a fool and miss out on that opportunity. In a moment, our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a final song. I want to encourage you as we sing the song together to open your heart and ask the Lord what he wants to teach you as a result of our passage this morning. There may be some of you here today who you, you've been walking the way of the fool. In fact, maybe you've never known what it is to come into a personal relationship with your creator God, the God of amazing grace. And maybe today, maybe today is the first time where you take a step to the cross and you kneel before Jesus in humility and you acknowledge him as the God who can save. He'll do that for you, friends. Maybe you know that. Maybe you've experienced that. But maybe in recent days you've turned your back on God and you're pursuing your way over his way. And maybe today God's calling you to come back to the cross again and to know the God who promises that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this incredible story that you've given us, this, this true story with so many powerful lessons for us, Lord. And I pray that we would not ignore these lessons, but I pray that we would take these lessons to heart and that we would turn from our foolishness, our sin, our pride, our hubris, that we would acknowledge that you are God and we are not, and that we would seek your truth and seek to be obedient to that truth and seek to humble ourselves before you and recognize our need for you 
and acknowledge you as the only true God of gods and Lord of lords. The God of judgment, but also the God of amazing grace to all who turn to him. Lord, I pray that you would work mightily in our hearts wherever we need it, wherever we need to be encountered by you today. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives. Lead us to repentance. Lead us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please stand for our final song this morning. Thank you, worship team. 
I'm going to leave you with these great words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, before I do, let me just remind you, if any of you would like prayer this morning, maybe you want to pray with one of our pastors, one of our elders, our Stephen ministers, maybe it's to, to come into a personal relationship with Jesus for the very first time. Maybe it's to, to confess your sin and to turn away from the, the path of foolishness back into the path of God's amazing grace. We want to pray with you. We'll be here at the front of the platform if you want to come forward. And I leave you with these great words. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.